endeavoring to get into some things. I was looking over what we're going to get into here tonight, and I don't know about you, I, we just don't get together enough for church. There's just too much going on. I'm excited for Sunday because we're going to finish off Ruth. I'm excited for next Wednesday because we've got some stuff going on for, for group prayer, for praying for each other that I'm just, I'm ready to get into it on Sunday. <laughs> and um, I don't always get to get to, to get to say this to you all, but since we've got a little cozier group here on Friday night, but sometimes you all come up to me with some questions on some things. And you know how we talk about sewing? When you, when you come up and you ask a question, a lot of times you're sowing into something. And it's a, it's a seed I can't sow. It's a seed that it's needed for you to sow it. And sometimes you all have come up with a question and I, I've heard it and then I've gone back to, to God and said, God, what's, what's up with that? And it gives me insight into something I didn't have before. And um, don't don't hesitate to do that. I tell you, I never mind questions. They they help out. You all will will gain benefit on this in uh, in the coming coming weeks. I'm not sure when. I don't I don't know when it's going to be. But uh, some Sundays ago, I I made a statement that uh, caused at least one of you to have a question. And Miss Phyllis came up to me on Thursday night before practice and was asking me about this particular question on the on the thing. And so we were discussing it. And I don't know how it works for you. I can only talk about how it works for me. But sometimes when somebody asks me a question about it and, and I give the answer that I know, every once in a while there's an alarm that goes off on the inside of me. And that alarm tells me one of two things. One, what I understand is wrong. Or two, what I understand is incomplete. Now once that alarm goes off, I have to discern and figure out well, which, which, which is up on here. So she was asking me about that, and as soon as she asked me, and I started answering, this alarm went off. But I know it's not that I, it's not that I'm wrong. I know that because what I had was, you know, I had it from God. But my, it's incomplete. So I started pressing. I said, All right, "So what is? It? I don't have. I'm not saying that I got the whole complete thing. But I want to tell you is, is, is I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it, and then you'll have it, and you'll you'll go up to Miss Phyllis and say thank you." <laughs> you're, you're waiting. You're waiting here. Well, uh, I'll just tell you what it was. You can you can figure it out from from there. But um, remember when I told you before that the word is is um, is attacked by the enemy through tribulations and persecutions and not sickness. Well, she came up with a question on that. How many have ever thought sickness and disease is a test of the enemy? Well, see, my knowledge on it was incomplete. It's more complete now. But not to the point that I'm ready to vocalize it. <laughs> and I know better than to do stuff. You know, I've learned it before. Sometimes you try and say some of those things. Some truths you can just say, you can just talk about. And some truths you really need to be under the teaching anointing in order to do it. Because I know it's not my ability. I have to get under another, another uh, unction. And so I learned not to say things until I get under that. Because sometimes my knowledge is incomplete until we get going. And then it gets more complete as we go along. But um, there, was, there was more on that. And so we'll work on, on, uh, on bringing that out sometime down the road here. So we just had to have more services. <laughs> I don't know when we're going to have them, but we need to have some more services or something. <laughs> but here we're gonna, I'm going to read this to you first. And then we'll, we'll talk about what we're going to get into here tonight. 
because if uh, you weren't up on Facebook, you didn't see it. But in Luke chapter 22, verse 39, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. How many of you have, have read this verse before? And know that you pray and you won't enter into temptation. Now, don't show hands. But how many of you, don't just raise your inside hand. How many of you would say that you pray regularly? That prayer is a regular part of your life. And how many are still entering into temptation? Now, if Jesus says, pray that you may not enter into temptation, why is it that so many Christians are praying and yet still entering into temptation? Now, we know why the disciples enter into temptation, don't we? They didn't pray. <laughs> if you don't pray, you're not going to get the, be- the benefit of it. So, I went after God with these questions on this here today. How does prayer keep you from temptation? Because if I don't know how prayer is going to keep me from temptation, how is it going to keep me from temptation? You know, it's kind of like if you're going to go out and work on your car... And how many of y'all know oil is good for your car? But that doesn't just mean you pour it all over the, the car. It doesn't mean that you put oil in the, in the um, place where the antifreeze is supposed to go. That won't help you. You've got to put the oil in the right... If you don't use what's good for your car in the right way, it won't benefit your car. So if we don't use prayer the way we're supposed to use prayer, it's not going to benefit us the way we think it is. So that's one of the questions I went to. How does prayer keep you from temptation? And will any kind of prayer keep us from any kind of temptation? Because you all know that uh, Paul tells us, pray with all prayer. So if I'm supposed to pray with all prayer, then there's certain kinds of prayer that um, that I can in- involve myself with. And are those, what, what types of prayer will keep me out of what types of temptation? I mean, isn't that a, a legitimate question to ask? If there's different types of prayer and there's different types of temptation. But he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, Peter's denial was just predicted in a few verses before this. Jesus said, uh, he, of course, Peter said, I'm not going to deny you. All these rather jokers, they may deny you, but I'm not going to. I'm tough. And Jesus said, uh, well, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, no, no, not me. Now, if I don't know how prayer is going to help keep me from temptation, will it work anyway? Now, our answer to that, we'd like to say, of course it will. (laughs) But if I don't know how to make a prayer of faith, can I pray in faith to help me? Now, we all know that there's some places where you need to make the prayer of faith. And if you need to make the prayer of faith and you say, oh, God, if it be your will. That's not going to help you, is it? You see, if we apply the wrong kind of prayer at the wrong time, it's not going to help us. So if I apply the wrong kind of prayer when I'm trying to gain strength for temptation, it's not going to help me. This is why we got a whole lot of praying going on and still a whole lot of temptation going on. Because we're not praying the prayers that need to help us keep us out of temptation. 
But what's good is the Word of God gives us enough indication, enough clues to figure out what kind of prayer we need to make. Let's go on here in, in Luke's Gospel, verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me, nevertheless my will, not my will, but your will be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. How, I don't know if you ever asked this question, but how did the angel strengthen Jesus? How did he do it? Did the angel come down with a strength injection and just said, Jesus, roll up your sleeve? And we just give him a little strength injection? Did the angel come and just lay hands on him in the name of Jesus? Be strengthened? How did the angel do it? There must have been a way, right? Have you ever asked yourself this question? How did the angel strengthen Jesus? Well, see, if you don't know how the angel strengthened Jesus, how are you going to know how you can get strengthened? I've got to know how the angel strengthened Jesus in order to know how, how I can be strengthened. Do you know that there's enough indication in the Word of God to figure out how the angel strengthened Jesus, even though it's not said a word about how he did it? We can figure it out. Because you divide the Word by what? The Word. So you go throughout the whole Word of God. What is the job of an angel? What do angels do? They bring messages. Every time we see an angel, they bring a message. They bring a message. They are messengers of God. They bring messages. When Gabriel came and he spoke to Daniel, what did he give him? I have a message. When the angel of the Lord showed up with Abraham, what did he have for him? He had a message. When the angel of the Lord showed up for Joshua and he was going to strengthen Joshua, what did he do? He gave him a message. When the angel showed up with Mary, he had a message. When the angels showed up with the shepherds, they had a message. You see, when the angels show up, folks, they have a message. Angels speak messages from God. I was listening to uh, Brother Hagen teaching this week, and there was a particular thing he got onto. He was talking about one of the times he was uh, had a visitation, uh, or I, and I think he was actually um, in vision, saw Jesus, and Jesus had a message for him, but next to him was a very large angel. And every time he looked over at the angel, he said the angel opened his mouth as if to speak, but then he looked back over at Jesus and the angel stopped. And then Jesus kept on going with, a, with what he was there to tell him. And so he, um, the, Jesus got through speaking to him about the things he was speaking to him about. And so we, he asked him, he says, why is he here? And Jesus said to him, he has a message for you from the Father. He said, that's your angel. And he said he was very tall. He said he was glad that his angel was tall. <laughs> but he said he had a message for you. And so um, 
Brother Hagen, he, t- he, uh, he got to hear the way he tells the story. He says, uh, you know, I was trying to be super spiritual or, or something. I says, well, I'm not going to accept that message unless you prove me from the word that I should. So Jesus just smiled and, and uh, went through the word of God and showed all angels were messengers. And so um, uh, after he saw it was in the word of God, the angel had a, had a message. And there's no real point in getting all the rest of, the rest of that. But there was a message that came from God. And the angels will very often bring it. Now, my question was, why didn't Jesus just bring it? I don't know. I wasn't, he didn't get into that part of it. But uh, we could just go on. But here we have the angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. So if we look at all the scriptures in the word of God that talk about the angels and what they did when they came, can we pretty much assume that the message, that the angel came with a message? Now look at how Jesus is praying. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now, Jesus is going through here a conflict between his will and God's will. Now, going through a conflict between your will and God's will is not sin. If it was, Jesus wouldn't be perfect. He didn't do it. Going through conflict is not sin. Don't let the enemy try and tell you that. Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your wills be done. Now, the disciples knew this went on, but as we told you before, we still don't know what his, his will was. He never told anybody. If anybody else has a will that's different from God's, you know what it is, because they tell you. Jesus doesn't tell you. <laughs> you don't need to know. It's, it's my will. It's not good anyway. But so, so the idea here is that he has a, at least two different directions he can go. There might be more, but he's got at least two different directions he can go. He can go God's way or he can go his way. Now, when he comes to the garden, he tells the disciples what? Pray that you enter not into temptation. What is Jesus' purpose for himself praying? We know what the purpose is of the disciples praying. He told them. What's his purpose for praying? Is there any reason to believe that Jesus' purpose is any different from what he gave his disciples? I would say that the reason Jesus is praying is the same reason he told his disciples to pray that we enter not into temptation. And for Jesus, the temptation would be not to go the way of the Father. So, don't go the way of the Father. That's a temptation. For the disciples, what temptation are they going to face? Well, Jesus told them just before this whole thing happened that you will be brought to stumble because of me. Well, there's your temptation. Jesus' temptation was not to follow the will of the Father. The disciples' temptation was to stumble because of him. And that's what they did. When the um, soldiers came, what did they do? After, After they got the sword out and chopped off the guy's ear, they all ran. They all ran. They ran. The, they, they turned their backs on Jesus and fled. And then Peter followed afar off. 
It says later on in this same chapter, it'll tell you that. Peter followed afar off. But uh, he was confronted because he was close enough. He was he confronted. You were with him. No, 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 I wasn't with him. So he was tempted, right, to deny Jesus. And he did that because they they were not praying. So the purpose of Jesus is about direction that he would follow. There were at least two paths, so so temptation would seem to be taking the wrong one. Going in the wrong direction. Remember, Jesus said, I can pray, I can ask the Father, send down a legion of angels, so he'd do it. But then the purpose wouldn't be accomplished, would it? So, it would seem, you can write this in here if you want, it would seem that Jesus was renewing himself on the plan and purpose of his mission. Wouldn't it? If the temptation is to not do it the, the Father's way and you're praying in the garden, wouldn't the purpose be let's get renewed on this and what I'm here for? Because it's all coming down to this. We are here at the moment of truth. It's all coming down to this. Let's make sure that I continue to go and, and do it the right way. So this is the time to be renewed on the mission and purpose that God had given him when he left heaven. See, there's not a supernatural impartation from the angel to him. It's the angel bringing a message from God. A message that would would build him up. A message that would encourage him. A message that would renew him on the mission. You see, if we can know the answer to this question, why did Jesus endure the cross? If I can answer that question... How is it and why is it that Jesus endured the cross? Then I really have my answer as to what the angel did. In verse 44, let's finish off the Luke chapter here. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he arose from prayer and had some uh, had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to, said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple and elders who had come to him, have you come out against against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. So that's the end of the particular story here of what happened in the garden. Of course, it keeps on going on with um, more of the narrative, what happened that night. But let's take a look over at Hebrews. We're going to look at Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Now, if you were here during the series of Hebrews and thought we totally exhausted everything out of Hebrews, apparently that's not the case. (laughs) Here in uh, verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, why did Jesus endure the cross? For the joy 
that was set before him. Does Jesus put this joy before him? No. He does not. Listen to the verse again. Who, for the joy that was set before him. That means somebody else set it. Somebody else brought it for him and put it in front. Now, we didn't spend a whole lot of time on this one particular word when we went through Hebrews. I went back through the notes just to make sure. (laughs) But we have here, for the joy and set before him. Well, wouldn't it be safe to assume that the one who set before him the joy would be the angel who came to minister to him? If you're being renewed on the purpose, and how many know the joy of the Lord is my strength? So if you're going to strengthen Jesus, you're going to renew his joy. Wouldn't that make sense then? Who for the joy that was set before him. Now I looked up this word set before. It comes from one Greek word. We have it in two. Set before him. But it comes from one one Greek word. And um, it means to lie before the view. To be present to the mind. To stand forth as an example or reward. To be first or to set before. This word is used only five times in the New Testament. Three of them are in Hebrews. The first time, well, not the first time, but one of the times we see this is over in Jude, chapter, uh, of course, chapter 1, uh, verse 7. Sodom and Gomorrah are set forth as an example. Now, they didn't set themselves up as an example. They were set up as an example for us. So, Sodom and Gomorrah were set up by a outside party for us. In Hebrews... Chapter 6 and verse 18, it talks about the hope that is set before us. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse, or 12 verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's another time when it's used. You see, when you have a race that is set before you, someone else determines the race. Someone else determines where you're supposed to go. And you have to follow it. If you want to qualify to uh, you know, finish the race or be counted as a finisher or if you think that you might be, be winning. Every time I think about this verse, I think about one particular race that I did that um, uh, we, were, we were off and it was over in Hatfield. And it was between seasons. I was just kind of you know, running around doing some stuff. And it wasn't a huge race. You know, we maybe had a couple hundred people that were in the race. It wasn't, it wasn't a real big one. And so we were running. And so, um, there were two guys that were ahead of me and I was behind them. And I was, uh, I kept them in my sights and I figured my strategy for the race was I'm going to keep them in my sight and in the end I'll pass them and I'll win. And uh, this is my first time ever running a 5k. I've never run a 5k up till then, never run anything that short. Everything I'd always run was longer. And so, uh, and this is way back in the days when we didn't have GPS. You don't, have your, you don't have a phone, you don't have a watch. There's nothing to keep track of your miles. You just got to know how far you ran. Anybody remember those days? You just got to remember. So we're going along and I'm looking at my watch and I know how fast I can, you know, what kind of a pace you're, you're running. You know, whether it's this 
minute mile or whatever it is. And you can kind of figure out, all right, after, you know, so many miles, you should be here. And I was going on through and I'm figuring, no, it's a 3.1 mile race. I'm figuring to come through at a certain time and finish at a certain time, be done with the race at a certain time. There's only two guys ahead of me. That's it. Everybody else is behind us. And so we're running and I still got these two guys in my sights. I'm watching them. I'm going to make sure I stay with them and keep on going. And then we're going on through and I'm looking at my watch and says, man, I must be really slow today because I am not where I should be. I should, I should be done this race and I'm still running and I can't even see the finish line. And so I just keep on running and we just keep on going and we're just, we just keep on going and we, we just keep on going and we just keep on going. I said, man, there is something wrong here. I don't understand what's going on, but there is something wrong. And so finally we break out into the spot and I said, oh, that's where we started. That's where we're heading. And we, we all head on over there. And by the time we got there, I didn't catch them. I was running, I was planning to run in 3.1 miles and uh, somebody went through and they, they did the thing because uh, apparently we missed the turn. The, the first two guys, they missed the turn. It wasn't marked real well. I'm following those two guys. The person behind me is following me. The person behind that's following them. So the entire train went off and no one ran their actual race. We all ran something different. And so we ran almost five miles instead of the 3.1. And so <laughs> we're getting on through. Uh, <laughs> so, so that didn't go according to plan. That wasn't quite the, the way. But you see, they had set out a path. And you're supposed to you're supposed to follow it. And if you don't follow that path, you don't qualify to run. You don't qualify the, to finish the, the race. There's a, there's a thing that's set out. You may say, well, I don't want to run that way. I'd rather run something shorter. doesn't matter. The race that is set before you, the hope that is set before you, the joy that was set before what? Him. The race that is set before us or you. The hope that is set before us or you. But the joy that is set before him. Three times Hebrews uses this word. Two times set before us. But in this third time he used it. Right after he used it in verse 1, he used it in verse 2. And he said, for the joy that was set before him. Can you see how we can easily come to a conclusion? That when the angel showed up to strengthen Jesus, he renewed him on the joy that was to come. If he stays with the plan of God. And he doesn't follow off after this other stuff. He stays with the plan of God. He goes the way of the cross. He's praying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. So the angel came and strengthened him in the purpose and the vision that he had. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. He went to prayer in the garden because he wanted to become renewed on the purpose of God. And the angel came down to renew him on that purpose, to renew him on that joy. 
And because of that joy that came up on the inside, he despised the shame of the cross. He wasn't afraid of it. He looked down upon it. That's actually what this word means. It's a compound word. It means to look down upon. He looked down upon the shame. He said, I'm above you. You are beneath me. You are not going to keep me from the purpose. You're not going to keep me from the joy. So he pressed in. Jesus was renewed in the joy. And that's what gave him the strength to endure the cross. That's what did it. The, the disciples were not renewed on the joy of what was to come and gave in. They gave in to the fear that came through the shame of the cross, the shame of being associated with Jesus. They gave in to the fear. They ran from the garden. Peter, of course, he followed from a distance. So what kind of prayer keeps us from falling into temptation? Well, see, the prayer of, prayer of uh, supplication, intercession, that's not going to keep you. There's a purpose for it. There's a place for it. That's not keeping you out of, out of temptation. I wrote this down in, in mine, but there's no room in, I don't think there's any room in yours. You can write this down if you want to. But prayers that re- renew us to the plan and purpose of God are these. Prayers that speak the Word of God. Prayers that speak the Word of God. Prayers that see through the eyes of faith. That will renew you to the purpose of God. Not whining or complaining prayer. Not whining or complaining prayer going to God. Oh God, it's so hard. You see, that doesn't renew me to the plan and purpose of God or keep me out of temptation. That weakens me. But when I come to God and I say, Father God, the devil is trying to get me to quit. But you said in your word, you would always be with me. You said in your word, and I remind him of the things he said in his word. See, that renews me to the plan and purpose of God. That strengthens me. That puts that joy before me. And that's where my strength is. Whining and complaining are not going to help you. No prayers of doom and gloom. Oh, Father God, I'm on my way out. I'm on my last leg. I don't know how I'm going to make it. That's not prayers of strength. That's not prayers to keep you out of temptation. You keep praying prayers like that, it's no wonder you keep falling into temptation. Not ritual prayer. No grace is good to do. But it's a ritual prayer. Not praying over your prayer lists. I'm not saying don't pray over your prayer list. I'm saying praying over your prayer list is not going to be the kind of prayer that helps you in this particular thing. Doesn't mean don't do it. It just means if you want prayer for strength, that's not what you're going to be getting it from. I need to go in there and renew myself on the purpose. Now, say the angel came and delivered a message to Jesus. But you know, you have, even if an angel doesn't show up and give you a message, you've got messages already. In the Word of God, that is a message from God to you. Pray it. Father God, this is what you said to me. This is what you promised me. You see, because we gotta, we gotta set it before us. If we set it before us, if it's here in front of me, here it is. This is what I'm going for. But you see, the enemy wants to come along. He wants to substitute what you see. 
God wants you to have His plan, His purpose, His calling. He wants you to have that right there in front of you. But the enemy wants to come and replace it. He wants to replace it with doom and gloom. You're not going anywhere. You're not doing anything. Nothing you have has any lasting value. You have no worth. You have no value. Why do you continue on? He wants to take the vision that God has for you and pull it out of your sights. And He wants to set before you something that will drain you of your strength. Drain you of your vigor. Make you think you're useless and no good. That's what He wants to do. But if you go into prayer and it said, oh God, it's not working. I've done everything I can know to do. I believed you. I trusted you. And it's just not happening. I can't take it anymore. You have taken what God has given you and you replaced it with what the enemy has given you. And now that is what is before your eyes. That's no good. It's not going to help you. It's kind of like this. If you want to, if you want to call people into dinner, what is the thing you need to do? First off, get the aroma going. Get the aroma out there. How many have ever had a vision of what dinner is going to be because of what you smelled? Oh, I'll bet you that's... And we begin to... And and an image comes to our mind. I begin to to see something. I become encouraged. How many of you suddenly realized you were hungry because you smelled bacon? I didn't know I was hungry, but all of a sudden I'm smelling bacon and I'm hungry. They put a vision in there. I, I saw something. If you're cooking cabbage at home, I will get not get a vision. <laughs> I will probably have words come out of my mouth that I'm not hungry right now. <laughs> if you are cooking sauerkraut, I will leave the premises. The enemy's purpose is to tear down the vision through thoughts of failure, demise, destruction, even uselessness. That's his purpose. And if you keep fostering it, no matter how much time you spend in prayer, you will not become strengthened against temptation. Because you're not praying the way Jesus prayed. When he pulled those disciples into the garden, he's not asking them to pray in tongues. That's not, that's not what he's calling them to do. He's not calling them into intercession for the government. Praying for the church. He says, pray that you don't enter into temptation. And if you're going to do that, and how many of y'all know it's a good idea not to be in temptation? If we're going to do that, then we've got to pray the purpose and plan that God has for us. With faith. Not just sit there and say, oh God, I know that you want to do this with me, but oh, I just hope that there's somehow it comes about. That's not going to help. Father God, I thank you that you have called me into this, 
that you have equipped me into this. I thank you that those gifts and those callings are coming out, that they are being watered, they are being fed, that I am continually to give it the word. And when I give it the word, those, those things grow inside of me. I thank you that you have a purpose and a direction. And no matter if I am like Joseph and in the inner prison, you are still developing me for the calling and purpose that you have. If I am Moses on the backside of the wilderness taking care of sheep, you are still developing me, me to become the deliverer that you called me to be. If I am Aaron, a slave, being beaten every day, I am still called and being prepared to be God's first high priest of the order of Aaron. Still called that. If I am David and just watching a few sheep out in the wilderness, I am still being developed for the plan and the purpose that God has for me. If I am Peter and casting nets into the water every single day, I am still Peter called by God to be one of the apostles of Jesus Christ and being prepared every day to become the man who would walk in the book of Acts and special miracles happened so that even the shadow of Peter caused people to be healed. If I am Daniel taken prisoner, I am still following after the call of God to bring great revelation about the end times and what would happen to the nation of Israel. If I am Jeremiah and even though I am beaten for the words that I am saying and thrown into the inner prisons sinking in the mud in such a deplorable place that when they decided to pull him out it took many men and ropes to get him out of the mud that he was in. And yet he is still called and still being developed. If I am Elijah and everyone wants me dead, I am still called. And if you look at how God dealt with Elijah, there was no place for despair. He says, what are you doing here? If we've gotten to a place of despair in our life, Jesus was in a place where despair could have taken hold of him. It was shaking his body so much that his sweat and his blood mixed together. Very difficult condition to get in. And you've heard the, probably the reports before how that can happen. But he was strengthened. He went through an ordeal for the purpose of accomplishing God's plan on this earth. And he was strong enough to do it because he was strengthened in prayer. Is your prayer life strengthening you for what is ahead? Is the enemy telling you all kinds of things? Keeping you out of praying the right kind of prayer? Getting you to play prayers of doom and gloom and destruction and whining, complaining? You don't get strength for that. 
Stay with the prayers that will keep you out of temptation. Don't sell God on your plan in prayer. Become renewed to His. Would y'all stand up with me? Over to God. Father, we thank you. Father, so often we get tempted when we come into prayer that we have come up with a better plan because we know what your plan was, but now we're facing all this discouragement, all these problems, all these obstacles. And so another plan has come up. And we have another way of accomplishing what you wanted to do. But Father, we need to go to prayer and be strengthened on your, on your plan, on your purpose, and not try and sell you on ours. That just as Jesus was tempted in the garden to go a different direction, so are we. Unfortunately, many of us take it. But Jesus did not. Help us to follow his example and how he was strengthened in prayer and came out and accomplished the purpose that God had for him on that cross where he bled and he died. And in three days, he did rise. I give you the praise and the glory for it, Father. No matter, no matter how discouraged or down we become, your plan and your purpose is still true. And if we will become strengthened the way that Jesus was strengthened, we will not enter into temptation. We will not fall from the plan of God or turn tail and run but we will stand and face the enemy knowing that we have the victory. Just as you renewed Jesus on the joy that was set before him, you renew us on the joy that is set before us. For there is nothing more than we want to hear in those last days. Well done, good and faithful servant. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.